over 15 tales of terror that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Only 99 cents. Or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books or go to Amazon and search for blood tingling tales. Do you like scary stories? If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. and go seek. My mom takes me with her when she visits a neighbor of ours who lives down the street. They sit at the kitchen table and yammer on about all sorts of things. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they cry, but usually they just talk and drink. They drink wine, which my mom told me is like the adult version of grape juice. I would hate going over there if it weren't for Barry. He's the neighbor's son. He's 10 years old, so he's two years older than me. He goes to a different school, so the only time I see him is when we visit. Most kids Barry's age would prefer to pick on me rather than play with me, but Barry's a nice kid and we always play hide and go seek when we are over there. Barry's mom is mean. She wasn't always that way. At first she was real nice to me and encouraged me and Barry to have fun. But now she hates when we play, especially hide and go seek. She gets mad when we do. We have to sneak off and play without her knowing or she yells at us. I'm not sure what happened that made her change. I asked Barry and he just shrugged. He either didn't know or didn't want to talk about it. On our latest trip to the neighbor's house, Barry's mom was sobbing when we arrived. And she was drinking. A lot. My mom rubbed her on the back and talked sweet to her, kind of like she would to me when I was hurt. That's when I saw Barry. He was hiding around the corner and waved for me to come to him. I knew if I just got up and left, Barry's mom would holler at me and tell me to stay put. I had to wait for just the right time to sneak away. It seemed like forever, but finally Barry's mom started crying hysterically and lowered her head. My mom moved closer to her, telling her everything would be okay, and that was my chance. I quietly crept away from the grown-ups and darted over to where Barry was waiting. He smiled at me and asked me if I wanted to play hide-and-go-seek. I nodded yes, and he told me to go upstairs and hide. I could hear him counting as I dashed up the stairs and started looking for the perfect hiding spot. Barry's house was old and kind of spooky. 
I wouldn't want to be there alone, that's for sure. The hallway upstairs was long and skinny. There were several bedrooms. Barry's room was the last room on the left. I was going to hide in there, but that would be too obvious. So I hurried into his mom's room and hid under her bed. As I pushed myself under the bed, I bumped into several empty wine bottles that clanked around. I hope that didn't give me away. I waited under there for a long time. I knew Barry was looking for me, but he was being quiet. I had a view of the hallway outside the bedroom and hadn't seen Barry pass by yet. So I waited and waited. That's when I heard the front door to the house close. I scurried out from under the bed and looked out the front window. I could see my mom in the yard. She was looking around and seemed to be calling out. What, was she looking for me? I was about to head downstairs to let her know where I was in case she was worried when I heard Barry's mom scream. Where are you, you little son of a bitch? Uh-oh. She knew we were playing hide-and-go-seek. She was really mad, and my mom wasn't there to protect me. I wasn't sure what to do, so I slid back under the bed. I figured I'd wait there until my mom came back into the house. I just hope Barry's mom didn't find me first. She was getting crazier all the time. Just wait till I find you. My heart started thumping as I heard her footsteps stomping up the stairs. Where are you? You better answer me. I could see her legs race past the doorway. I could hear the bang of the door being flung open. I knew she was in Barry's room looking for me. When I find you, I'm going to carve you up. I was so glad I didn't hide in there, but surely she would look through every room. If I was going to get away, this was the time while she was down the hall. If I hurried, I could get out from under the bed and run down the stairs before she caught me. I sprang out from under the bed, but kicked the wine bottles in the process. I hear you. I could hear Barry's mom running down the hallway. I stood up and started to run for the bedroom door, but she got there before I did and blocked my way. You. What are you doing up here? She was insane. Her eyes were bloodshot red. She was snarling like a mean dog. She looked like a monster as she reached out for me. I'm going to kill you. I tried to get away, but she was too big and strong. She grabbed me by my arm, slammed me against the wall, and started shaking me. What are you doing up here? Tell me. What are you doing up here? I had no choice. I had to confess. I was playing hide-and-go-seek with Barry. This made her even madder. I told you never to play hide-and-go-seek again, didn't I? Didn't I tell you that, didn't I? She moved her hands from my arms to my throat and started to squeeze. I thought she was going to kill me, but my mom rushed in and pulled her off of me. Barry's mom collapsed in a heap on the bed and started bawling. I rubbed at my sore neck and expected my mom to comfort me, but instead, she yelled at me too. What were you doing up here? I was just playing hide-and-go-seek with Barry. How dare you? Do you know how mean it is to say that? I was confused. Had my mom gone crazy too? Why can't I play with Barry? My mom took a deep breath and got control of herself. Her next words were still sharp, but she wasn't yelling anymore. She sounded sad. 
Barry is dead. I looked over at the doorway. Barry was standing there looking at me. Barry's not dead. He's right there. I pointed. My mom looked back and then shook her head. There's nobody there. I knew if I argued with her, I'd just get in more trouble, so I shut up. My mom bent down and started combing her fingers through my hair as she spoke to me in a soft tone. A month ago, when you were playing hide-and-go-seek with Barry, he hid in an old refrigerator and suffocated. He's dead, and you have to stop pretending like he's not. Do you understand? I didn't understand but I knew I had to nod or things would just get worse for me. It was nighttime when we finally got back home. That night, I woke up in my bedroom at midnight. The room was very dark, only a little bit lit by my nightlight. I could see Barry standing at the foot of my bed. He was watching me. Are you really dead? He nodded. Can we still play hide-and-go-seek sometimes? Barry nodded again and smiled. Trust Game My name is Katie. I went to an all-female high school, a rather old school that was founded in the early 1900s. It is said to be haunted, and many of the girls claim to have had various paranormal experiences. The age of the school and the rumors of it being haunted are not the only differences from most high schools. Rather than the same mundane classes that every other school had, my high school offered an array of college courses and creative elective classes. One of the elective classes I was rolled in was a leadership course. It was designed to give the students basic knowledge on how to become an effective and successful leader. Among many different techniques that were used in that class was an exercise referred to as the trust game. The trust game was as follows. There were 12 of us girls in the class. We'd all stand up in a single file line. Each of us would hold the hand of the girl in front of us and the girl behind us. Every girl would be blindfolded except for the girl in the front of the line and she would lead us like a big snake through the school. The point was that if she were leading us properly, she could confidently guide us through whatever obstacles were encountered. 
I was quite good at leading the group, however, I was only average at best at following the person in front of me in a blindfolded state. The idea was in order to be a good leader, one must also know how to follow. I was improving at the following part, but seemed to get frazzled easily and was prone to making mistakes. On this particular day, I was placed smack dab in the middle of the line. I was determined to be laser focused on following the girl in front of me without any mistakes. The girl leading the line was named Denise. She was very good at this, and I knew her tactics. She would start the line off with rudimentary motions and then get progressively difficult. I was dialed in. Nothing was going to deter me. I was ready for anything. As expected, Denise started us off light. She walked us up and down the hallway in a simple straight line several times. Piece of cake. Then she started moving us in a snake-like motion and I was having no problem at all. This was the day I was going to be mistake-free. I just knew it. Then the hard part came. The stairwell. The stairwell consisted of a flight of approximately 10 stairs that ended at a landing. It was then followed by 10 more flights of stairs and so on until we reached the fifth floor, which was the top floor of the school. Most girls who led the line didn't take us up the stairs, but Denise always did. And this was where I usually messed up. But today was different. I was concentrating and fully focused and was in perfect form all the way up to the fifth floor. I was beaming when the girls in front of me and behind me let my hands go. The exercise was over and I had nailed it. At least I thought the exercise was over. It wasn't but a few seconds later when I felt the girls grasp my hands once again. I had celebrated a little too early, but I wasn't going to let that fluster me. I immediately regained my focus and affixed my senses on the motion of the girl in front of me. It was a few seconds later when I heard the clanking of footsteps on the old winding staircase. This was crazy. There was no way we'd all be able to wind our way up that tight twisting staircase. Not to mention it led to the roof of the school. And once we started up it, there would be no turning around, at least not while we were all joined at the hand. But this was fine with me. If Denise wanted to test us, today was the right day. I was honed in like a hawk. The tinny sound of all our footsteps on the staircase at once sounded like someone rattling heavy chains. But we were all in sync and in no time, I could feel the cold breeze as we stepped out on the roof. I couldn't believe we pulled this off. I wanted to let go of the girl's hands, pull off my blindfold, and jump for joy. But we were still moving. When was this game of trust going to end? I could feel the crunch of graveled roof under my feet, and then became alarmed when the texture changed from rocky to smooth. Where was I? It was then that the girls let go of my hands and I heard them start calling my name. Katie! Katie! Their voices were anxious, fright-filled, and distant. Extremely distant. It sounded like they were coming from below me. 
Katie, no, no, don't do it, don't do it, Katie. I couldn't take it anymore. I reached up, removed my blindfold, and recognized that I was all alone on the roof. I looked down and saw all 11 of the other girls on the ground below me screaming for me not to jump. That's when it dawned on me that I was on the roof's edge. I shrieked, turned around, and ran back into the school. Later, the girls informed me that the exercise ended when they all got to the fifth floor. I told them that I felt them let go of my hands, but then they grabbed them again. The girls said that did not happen. They said no one grabbed my hands again. They told me that after they let go of me, I kept my blindfold on and started walking again as if I were still playing the trust game, but that I was all by myself. They thought I was kidding around, but I wasn't. Something else took me by the hands and led me to the roof, where I was mere inches away from falling to my death. If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Spiders from Mars Most people are well aware of the Mars Rover. It's a motor vehicle that was designed to travel on the surface of Mars and send pictures and other scientific data back to Earth. I work for NASA and can tell you that the Mars Rover is nothing more than a diversionary tactic for the public. The pictures the public sees from the Mars rover are in fact authentic, but are of desolate sections of the planet. These photos are meant to make the public believe that Mars is a lifeless, boring planet. Nothing could be further from the truth. While the public is focused on the Mars rover, NASA's true top-secret missions on Mars take place out of public view. There's a multitude of projects. For example, nobody is aware that we have already sent several people to the Red Planet. We even have several bases on Mars set up to allow extended visits for scientists studying the planet. I'm one of those scientists. I'm a biologist that specializes in the study of bacteria. Most of the projects revolve around obtaining alien artifacts from Mars, of which there are many. At one time, Mars was a vibrant planet with vast oceans and rampant with countless forms of life. Now, only remnants of life remain on the dusty planet. 
but the previous occupants left behind artifacts that you wouldn't believe. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the spiders. One of our scientists discovered two spiders burrowed within the decayed body of an alien that was sealed within a tomb. The spiders are tarantula-like, very large, about the size of your hand, and hairy. The hair on these spiders is much coarser than that of Earth's tarantula species, but otherwise they are difficult to tell apart. The two spiders are being held in what we call a containing room, which is basically a 12 foot by 12 foot glass enclosure. Red marsh sand was spread across the floor of the enclosure, and several dried logs from the planet were placed within so that the creatures could feel a sense of comfort. While NASA is inundated with various scientists, engineers, chemists, astrophysicists, geologists, and biologists, they don't currently employ any archnologists who specialize in the study of spiders. Anyone who has had dealings with government knows that they typically move at a snail's pace to accomplish even the most rudimentary of tasks. Add passing through top-secret clearance to the equation, and you can multiply that by ten. So, the process of obtaining archaeologists to study these creatures has been a long one. And in the meantime, I am to keep an eye on the spiders. I'm a biologist. I have an elementary understanding of archaeology, but nothing that is needed to get a solid understanding of these spiders. I'm merely a gatekeeper of sorts until the true experts arrive. No telling how much longer that will be. So the majority of my days consist of me sitting in a chair watching the spiders and jotting down any notes of unusual things they do. Most days my notebook is empty. Sometimes they move slowly from one end of a log to the other. That's a highlight. Most days the spiders just sit there. The last three days I haven't seen much of the spiders. They have been tucked away inside one of the logs. That's not unusual. They spend a great deal of time within the logs. The idea of observing alien spiders was exciting to me six months ago. But now, I'm bored out of my mind. However, today something different finally happened. One of the spiders emerged from the log, followed by the other, and then another, a third spider. I couldn't believe my eyes. And this thing wasn't a baby, at least not in appearance. It was just as big as the other two. My jaw was already dropped, but dropped even further when a fourth spider emerged from the dead log. With the occurrence of such significant events, the proper protocol was to alert my supervisor immediately. But I knew what would happen if I did that. He'd come and take control. All of the other scientists would flood the room. I'd be an afterthought. 
Before I did anything else, I wanted to get a closer look for myself. Perhaps, if I gained more knowledge of their multiplication, I would be considered too important to be treated like some random lab tech. I did what I was told never to do. I opened the enclosure door and entered. I quickly shut the door behind me so that none of the spiders could escape. The spiders didn't react to me being in there with them. They either didn't notice, or they didn't care, which was more than fine with me. I bent down to get a closer look at the interior of the hollow log. I practically had to lie down to get a good view. The first thing I noticed was that I could not see through to the other end of the log. Something was wedged within the hollow of the log, blocking it. I immediately assumed it to be some kind of nest the spiders had built. Boy, I couldn't wait to get a closer look at that thing. But then I noticed some movement. Could it be a fifth spider? My question was answered quickly as the dark mass within the middle of the log began to move with vigor and shot toward me like a bullet out of the barrel of a gun. The object hit me with such force that I reeled back against the glass wall of the enclosure. I looked down at the object lying on my chest that struck me. It was a roundish, hairy ball of some sort. When I touched it with my hands, I could feel it wriggling from within. Then the object began breaking apart into pieces, and that's when I realized that this wasn't a single object at all. It was a gigantic horde of spiders. Hundreds of them. I let out a scream and shoved the spider ball across the glass enclosure, where they completely broke apart and began swarming the enclosure. I watched on as they pounced on each other in what initially appeared to be an act of aggression, but I quickly realized that it was in fact an act of affection. They began rubbing against each other, and then suddenly a black ball would emerge from the thorax of a spider and reveal itself to be a newborn spider which would immediately spring to adult size and join in on the reproduction. The spiders were reproducing at an alarming rate. It was mere seconds before I stood up and found that I was now ankle-deep in spiders, and then knee-deep, and then... everything went black. Power outage. This was not an unusual occurrence here on Mars. The outages usually only lasted about five minutes. The problem was that the door to the enclosure I found myself in was operated electronically. Until the power came back on, I was stuck in the glass enclosure with the rapidly reproducing spiders. I could feel the wiggling collection of spiders rising up my body like a soft, hairy wave of water. They were up to my waist, and then my chest, and then my shoulders. The spiders made no sound, but I could hear their bodies shuffling against each other, making a constant rumble like a thousand hands running through thick hair. The spiders weren't being aggressive. They weren't attacking me. 
They didn't care about me at all. But there simply wasn't room for all of us inside the enclosure, and I was being enveloped by them. They were now up to my neck, and several took to crawling over my head. I closed my eyelids to avoid any of the spider's legs from worming their way into my eye sockets. I took in a deep breath and shut my mouth tight as the spider's writhing bodies began to cover my face. A multitude of spider's legs wiggled up into one of my nostrils, and then the other. Their legs were long and pointed. It felt as though my brain was being stabbed. The tickling of my sinuses caused me to sneeze, which made me open my mouth. After the sneeze, my body involuntarily attempted to suck air back into my lungs, but oxygen was replaced by a spider's body. The soft, bushy, hulking body of one of the creatures was sucked into my mouth and down my throat, choking me. The spider tried to find refuge by scurrying down my esophagus and into my stomach. The empty space in my mouth was quickly overtaken by more quivering bodies of spiders that rapidly crept down my throat. I could feel my body quaking from within and I was still alive when my stomach burst and the spiders attempted to flee. But the glass enclosure was jam-packed with spiders now and there was nowhere left for them to go. I could feel a plethora of spiders scampering around just underneath my skin. The horrific sensation of the thick blades of their hair scraping against the interior of my flesh literally had my skin crawling. My body began to convulse as the multiplying spiders took over every ounce of space I had to offer them. I imagined I was likely a deep shade of blue at this point as I suffocated on the soft, mushy underbellies of the spiders from Mars. My end couldn't come soon enough. The last thing I heard before I expired was the cracking of the glass enclosure giving way to the wriggling pressure within. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. The Therapist My name is Helen. I found myself in a bind one day when my therapist abruptly closed his practice. I go to therapy three days a week. I'm not crazy or anything. It's just that being able to talk things out with another person helps to keep me grounded. If I don't have consistent therapy, I get extremely nervous. I had only been seeing this therapist for about six months. He was nothing special. It was no big loss. 
I just wish he would have given me some notice so I could have lined up a new therapist. I felt slightly anxious about going a full week without therapy, so I did a quick five-minute search for therapists and scanned through some of their reviews. Yes, I was a bit hasty in my decision, but I settled in on one that seemed to have a solid reputation. I called his secretary to make an appointment, but she said he wouldn't be able to see me for at least two weeks. I pleaded with the secretary, explaining to her of my anxiety of having to wait that long. I practically begged her to find a way to fit me in. She told me to hold on while she talked to the therapist. After a few minutes, she returned and informed me that he would add a slot for me after his final patient of the day. I thought that was quite thoughtful of him and had high hopes that this would be a great new relationship. When I arrived at the therapist's office that evening, I stepped into the lobby. It was a modest, plain lobby with a row of chairs, a coffee table, and a variety of magazines. There was a large mahogany secretary's desk at the far corner of the room. It sat next to a door that I assumed to be the entrance to the therapist's office. The lobby was empty and eerily quiet, and to my surprise, there was nobody at the secretary's desk. Perhaps she was in the ladies' room. I sat down in one of the lobby chairs and thumbed through one of the magazines. After 15 minutes of waiting, I grew impatient. Where was the secretary? I remembered that they were fitting me into a special slot after the therapist's final patient, so maybe the secretary left for the day and I was just to wait until the therapist finished up with his final patient. I waited another 15 minutes and experienced no signs of life, so I decided to get up and knock on the therapist's door. After gently knocking on the door and softly saying, Hello, I heard a man's voice from behind the door. He cleared his throat and sounded surprised by the knock. <clears throat> oh, uh, just, just a minute. I could hear some things being moved around inside the office and then heard the distinct sound of footsteps approaching the door. When the door opened, I was greeted by a man with dark shaggy brown hair. He was dressed extremely casual for a therapist, in blue jeans and a long-sleeved, solid-colored t-shirt. He was much younger than I expected. He was probably in his mid-thirties, which would put him at approximately ten years my junior. I had never had a therapist who was younger than me before, so I wasn't sure what to expect. Yes, can I help you? I was surprised that he didn't seem to be expecting me. Um, your secretary told me that you were making a special appointment for me today after your final patient? After a few awkward seconds, a look of recognition came over his face and he smiled as he spoke. Oh yes, I'm sorry. You must be, um... Helen. That's right. I apologize. It's been a crazy day. Please, just come in and have a seat. The office was cozy with a large desk in the corner of the room and dark leather chairs placed in the center of the room facing each other. I sat down and the chair was just as comfortable as it looked. The therapist sat down across from me. Rather than making eye contact with me, he immediately gazed downward. 
I was wearing a work skirt, and my impression was that the therapist was checking out my legs. He kept his stare for so long that I felt the need to speak up. Um, excuse me, what are you looking at? He finally made eye contact with me. Oh, oh, your, your skirt? I, I was simply admiring your skirt. I instinctively pulled my skirt over my legs as much as possible and waited for him to break the ice and he finally did in a way I wasn't expecting. You're a very attractive woman. I was slightly taken aback and found this to be a little inappropriate. Well, thank you. Are you single? Again, I felt that this was just inappropriate at this stage of the session, but I did answer. Yes. Boyfriend? Not at the moment. Good. Very good. He leaned back in his chair and began twiddling his thumbs. He seemed to be making a concerted effort to keep his eyes on my face, but his gaze kept darting down at the level of my breasts. I was beginning to feel uncomfortable and started to think of a polite way to excuse myself and get out of there, but he spoke before I could. So, how are you feeling today, Helen? Okay, that was more of a question I would expect from a therapist, so I went with it. I'm fine, a little anxious, but that's why I'm here. He nodded and seemed to be in deep thought when he continued. And how long has it been since you've had a boyfriend? He followed the question up with a long stare at my breasts. If I'm not mistaken, he may have even inadvertently licked his lips. And that was it for me. I quickly stood up. I'm sorry, doctor, but I don't think this is going to work out. He seemed surprised. Really? Why? Quite frankly, you're making me feel uncomfortable. A mischievous grin came over his face as he leaned back in his chair and patted his thighs. Perhaps you'd feel more comfortable if you sat on my lap. His suggestion made my jaw drop, but he wasn't through. Come on, make believe I'm Santa. Sit on my lap like a good little girl. With that, I shook my head in disbelief and hurried toward the door. As I reached for the doorknob, I heard his maniacal voice behind me. Don't you dare leave. I turned to see the therapist now standing and scowling at me in a rage. He ran toward me with his arms outstretched. I screamed as I twisted the doorknob and heard a loud thud behind me. I looked back. The therapist had tripped over one of the large leather chairs and had fallen to the floor giving me just enough time to escape to my car. As I drove out of the parking lot, I could see the therapist standing in the window watching me drive away. I was shaking in fear when I got home. I barely got any sleep that night. The next morning, when I turned on the news, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I felt like I was in a nightmare as the anchorman explained that the therapist and his secretary were found brutally murdered. Their bodies had been stacked behind the desk in the therapist's office. When they flashed a picture of the therapist on the screen, I was looking at a man I had never seen before. 
He was an older man in his 60s with graying hair. They then showed a mugshot of the younger man I had encountered, and the anchor man explained. If you see this man, please alert authorities immediately. He has a history of mental illness and is believed to be extremely dangerous. He was the therapist's last patient of the night and is the lead suspect in these ghastly murders. If you like scary stories and you want to support the show, buy some of my books. I have a whole slew of them, and most of them are just 99 cents. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. Again, this is a great way to support the show. That's maniacontheloose.com slash books. The Door I purchased a really old house. It's amazing. Nobody knows quite how old it is, but there are some pictures of it dating back to the 1850s, so it's at least that old, but likely much older. The style of the house is Gothic Revival. It has a steeply pitched roof with grouped chimneys. It has battlement-shaped parapets and clover-shaped upper floor windows. It's kind of a cross between the psycho house and a castle. Many people utter the word wow upon seeing it the first time. One might expect a house of this age and complexity to need a lot of work, but that's not the case. It has been well taken care of, has had many recent renovations, and overall, it's in fantastic shape. My understanding is that the previous owner passed away suddenly. His only living relative was a motivated seller and priced it to sell. Lucky for me, I was the first to get an opportunity to nab it and that's exactly what I did. Although I'm in my early 50s, I'm still single but have several prospects. And I envision myself settling down before long and what better place to do so than this fascinating structure. When meandering through the house, there are so many modern amenities that it gives several people the false impression that the house is newer than it actually is. But any such notions would be immediately swept away if anyone were to step down into the basement. The basement is vast, nearly the length of the house, and it makes no attempt to conceal its true age. Twenty rickety wooden steps descend into the darkness of the basement. Several light bulbs are roped over the exposed ceilings. One would expect that amount of bulbs to provide ample lighting, but much of the light seems to be swallowed up by the basement's darkness. The walls of the basement are constructed by ancient cobblestone, which is held together by crude gobs of mortar. At the far end of the basement is a door. It's a shabby, tattered, splintered door that looks as though it is about to rot off of its hinges. The most intriguing aspect of the door is the locks. Three locks, to be exact. All are rust-covered and appear to be the same age as the door. Someone went to a lot of trouble to make sure this door was never opened. 
That fact certainly piqued my curiosity. I had to know what was behind that door. I went to the shed and came back with a heavy-duty crowbar. The locks put up a good fight, but they were too old and decayed to be triumphant, and one by one, the rusty locks fell to the cold basement floor. I reached out for the doorknob. It squealed like a pig as I turned it, and the door creaked as I slowly pulled it open. When the door was three quarters of the way open, the hinges gave way and the door thudded to the floor, revealing what was hidden behind it for God knows how many years. Another door. This door was steel and framed with rivets. It was sealed shut by five different locks. These locks were massive and my trusty crowbar didn't stand a chance. I had never seen a locked door lead to another locked door. There had to be something important on the other side. My curiosity level was now off the charts. I had to know what was behind the door. I called a locksmith. It took him an entire day to finally get the locks off, and during the process he got very ill and vomited multiple times. He kept saying how he had a bad feeling about this whole thing. Once he finally got the locks off, he hurried to the basement steps and said, I'll send you the bill. Uh, wait, you, don't you even want to see what's behind the door? The locksmith stopped and slowly turned back to me. He stared at me with a serious expression and spoke clearly. No, I absolutely do not. With that, he dashed up the stairs and left me alone in the cellar to witness the reveal by myself. I grabbed the cold handle of the door and began to open it. The door was heavy and it took some strength to pull it all the way open, but I managed to do so. Once the door was fully ajar, I was met by a gust of hot air. Whatever was behind that door was too dark to see, so I rushed to my shed and returned with a lantern and a flashlight. I quickly lit the lantern and stepped through the doorway. I found myself in a stone corridor. The odd thing was that the stones were all painted red. I pointed my flashlight down the corridor. My light was strong, but it couldn't reach the end of the corridor before it disappeared into the darkness. I yelled out, hello, and heard my voice echo multiple times. What the hell was this place? That's when I noticed the sound. It was coming from far away, deep within the depths of that red corridor. And it sounded like drums. Like a myriad of bongos being played rhythmically. What was there? Where did this lead to? I took a few steps down the corridor, but was interrupted by loud pounding on my front door upstairs. The corridor would have to wait. I went upstairs and opened the door. I was met by a short old man in a tweed jacket and a newsboy cap. He was out of breath from the effort he was putting into banging on my door. Can I help you, old timer? He put up a hand indicating that he needed a few seconds to catch his breath, but then he finally got to speaking. I had no idea that he sold it or I would have been here sooner. Sold what? 
this house. I didn't realize he sold this house. He didn't tell me he sold the house. Why didn't he tell me? Oh, the uh, previous owner died. I brought it from his relative. The old man cut me off. I don't care about any of that. The basement. There is a door in the basement. You must never open that door. Do you hear me? Never open that door. I shrugged. I'm sorry, mister, but you're a little late. I just opened it. I watched as all the blood drained from the old man's face and he stood in total shock for a moment before pushing me aside and rushing into my house while screaming, No! No! I hurried after him as he bolted down the steps and stopped at the open door. I watched as he physically slumped before falling to his knees in defeat. He kept whispering, No! 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 What is it? What's down there? He looked up at me with tear-filled eyes. It's the portal to hell. He slowly stood up and took several deep breaths. He then stepped up to me, grabbed me by the shirt, and pulled me close to him. You just released hell on earth. Here's a super fun way to support the show. Go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash store and buy some Maniac on the Loose merchandise. Let the world know you're a listener. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, mugs, there's a bunch of items to choose from. And you have a multitude of design choices, including all of my book covers. Go take a look. It's super cool. Go on. Do it. Right now. Go. ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash store Deadly Delivery I'm a pizza delivery guy. I hate working. I wish I could just lie around and play video games and get high. But I need the cash to buy the video games and the drugs, so here I am. All the money I get mostly comes from weekends, but at this particular pizza place, if you want to work weekends, you have to put work in on the weekdays, too. Yeah, my boss is a regular Hitler. Man, Tuesday nights were the slowest. And guess who pulled Tuesday night duty? <laughs> yeah, you guessed it. Oh, I was counting the damn seconds, man. I had to sit around on my hands and wait for some slob to get the taste for a greasy pizza and dial the phone with their chubby fingers and place an order. Only then could I get the hell out of this dump and away from the losers working here. The pizza maker was a dumb jock. All he wanted to do was talk sports. I hate sports, and I hate people who watch them even more. And I told the pizza maker as much, so he didn't bother trying to talk to me anymore, which was just the way I wanted it. And the cashier was an ugly gal a few years older than me. Her voice was like fingernails on a chalkboard. She used to try to talk to me until one day I told her to shut up. Up. 
The little tramp bitched to the boss and I got an earful from him, but she hasn't spoken a word to me since, so I got my wish. It was ten minutes before closing when some halfwit decided to place an order. Can you believe that crap? I was pissed until I found out who placed the order. It was a gal that I nicknamed Seductive Sally. She was a blonde bombshell. She had to be in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. Boy, she was something to look at. Soft skin, luscious lips, glistening eyes, and boobs that you wouldn't believe. I spend many a night fantasizing about giving those fun bags a hefty squeeze. She only ordered pizza about once a month. It was usually on a weekend, and then it was like a raffle as to which delivery driver would get the lucky delivery. She always ordered the same thing. Sausage, pepperoni, and extra cheese. I don't know how she kept her figure with that kind of diet, but she did, and that was all that mattered. She usually answered the door wearing something revealing. Last time I delivered to her, she wore shorty shorts and a white wife beater with no bra. <laughs> Let me tell you, that wife beater wasn't concealing much. It was totally worth working the whole dreary night just to be able to catch a glimpse of that curvy body. As uh, soon as the pizza-making jock pulled her pizza out of the oven, I grabbed it from him, threw it in a box, and floored it over to the vixen's house. She lived in a quiet neighborhood about ten minutes away if I drove normal. Tonight, I made it in three. As I got out of the car and headed for her porch, I unbuttoned the top three buttons of my shirt. You never know. Maybe it would turn her on and I'd get invited in. When I reached the door, I gave it a friendly knock and then checked my breath against my hand. Yeah, it smelled good. I was going to make a good impression. I had my fingers crossed that she would be wearing something I could see through. I stood there for several minutes and there was no answer, so I wrapped my knuckles against the door again. I swear I thought I heard a muffled scream from inside her house. So I knocked harder, and this time there was no mistaking it. Help! She sounded very distressed. I'm a bit of a coward by nature, although I would never admit that to anyone. If this kind of thing happened anywhere else, I would have turned away, got into my car, and drove off. But this was different. This was an opportunity to play the knight in shining armor. I mean... If I saved this beauty from whatever was ailing her, surely she'd consider giving me a nice sexual reward. So I turned the knob and opened the door. I was really, really hoping maybe she saw a mouse or a spider, and that would be the extent of her anguish as opposed to her being raped and murdered by some big nasty killer. With pizza in hand, I slowly made my way down her darkened hallway toward the scuffling which I heard coming from the back of the house. As I got closer, the scuffling grew more intense, and then suddenly, everything stopped and fell silent. I froze. I stood in the hallway for at least 60 seconds, deciding whether to keep moving forward or to turn around and hightail it out of there. The fact that everything was quiet probably didn't bode well for Seductive Sally. 
And remember, I'm a bit of a coward, and that cowardice kicked into full gear as I turned and started back toward the front door. I halted when I heard the deep, raspy voice behind me. Stop right there. I wanted to run, but felt the need to obey the scary voice, so I did as I was told. Turn around. I did so, and I could feel myself turning white as I witnessed the sight before me. It wasn't a mouse or spider. It was indeed a big nasty killer. He was dressed in a tight long sleeve shirt that couldn't conceal his rippling muscles. He had a buzz cut and a huge scar on his forehead. He was holding the sexy blonde by the hair, although she wasn't so sexy anymore. Her face was black and blue and her eyes were open and lifeless. For the record, she was wearing thick flannel pajamas, so I wouldn't have even gotten much of a show if she hadn't gotten killed. What do you got there? I looked down at the pizza box in my hand. It's a pizza. Yeah, no shit. I mean, what kind? Oh, uh, sausage, pepperoni, and extra cheese? The killer nodded. I'll take it. He waved me toward him. I wanted to drop the pizza, turn and flee, but... My legs felt like lead underneath me. I just knew they wouldn't cooperate, so I did as commanded. I slowly crept my way toward the scary man. When I finally reached him, he snatched the pizza from my hands. How much? I wasn't sure what he was talking about, and obviously the confusion showed on my face as he elaborated. How much for the pizza? Oh, oh, it's, it's, uh, twelve bucks? The killer dropped the one sexy blonde, pulled out his wallet, and removed some cash. Here you go. The killer handed me a fifty-dollar bill. I sheepishly began reaching into my money bag to give him his change, but he stopped me. Keep the change. If you can keep your mouth shut. My jaw dropped. Oh, whoa! That's a $38 tip! <laughs> You're damn right I'll keep my mouth shut. Thanks, buddy. I turned and whistled as I exited the dead woman's house and got into my car. It was two days later when they found seductive Sally's body. I did keep my mouth shut, and I never complained about working on Tuesday nights ever again. This episode is brought to you by Horror Quickies. If you like horror anthology books, this is for you. Over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Horror Quickies, the complete series, is only $2.99 on Amazon, or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies, or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. The Bike Ride The area I live in is unique. 
I basically live in the middle of a forest. My driveway is just a dirt road that is a quarter of a mile long. Most people who live in this type of a setting have to drive 30 minutes to the nearest town. That's what's so unique about my area. There's a little town just minutes away. Go down my driveway, turn right, and it's heavy forest for a few minutes. Then the forest gradually dissipates, and before you know it, you're out of the forest and smack dab in the middle of a historic river town. I bike ride for exercise. I usually go for a ride after dinner. If I ride my bike down to the little town and back, I get in a solid 30-minute ride. Today I had a busy day. By the time dinner rolled around, the sun had long since gone down and darkness had taken over. Such occurrences never deterred me from riding. Hell, I loved a good night ride. I had a headlamp on the front of my bike for such occasions. It definitely helped me get through the forest part of the ride, but by the time I got to the town, the array of street lights and illuminants from the surrounding buildings made the headlamp irrelevant. It was late summer. At this time of the year, the forest was bustling with insect life once the sun dropped. That was the first strange thing about my bike ride. The forest was eerily silent. Not a peep from a cricket or a frog. Nothing. It was an indication that something was wrong. As to what that was, I had no idea. And while it was unusual, it didn't stop me from continuing my ride. I sped down the road that led away from my house and then turned down Castleberry Road which would lead me to town. The road ran side by side with a gentle flowing river. Hearing the river babble along while I rode was pleasant. The river encircled the town and then headed back toward my house. I had a river on either side of me for 90% of the ride. It was quite relaxing. Castleberry Road wasn't overly busy, but it was the main road to get into the town, so I would usually encounter several vehicles along the way. But not tonight. I didn't experience a vehicle the entire way. This was very strange. The only thing I could hear was the crunch of my tires rolling over the pavement and the gentle flow of the stream on my side. Otherwise, nothing. A few times I did consider turning back. That's how disconcerting the silence was, but I was determined to get to the town. I was yearning for normality. I figured I would find such once I arrived in Castleberry. Castleberry is an old town founded in the early 1800s. It consists of five blocks. The majority of the streets are lined with old brick buildings. Most have businesses on the ground floor and apartments overhead. There's a nice variety of half a dozen restaurants. There's a small two-screen movie theater, a community theater that puts on shows five times a year, and an array of different stores. There are multiple antique stores and clothing stores. There's also an old-time soda fountain pharmacy. It's a quaint, charming town, and most nights you see a steady amount of people shuffling in and out of the different establishments. It's rare to never see anybody on the streets, and with the silence of the forest and the absence of cars on the road, 
I feared the town would be unusually vacant as well. I was wrong. The streets were packed. Too packed. This was not the normal I was hoping for. It was usual to see half a dozen to a dozen people out and about at one time. What I was witnessing was over a hundred people milling about the town. It was the turnout I would expect to see if the town were having a parade. That's the first thing that went through my mind. Some event must be happening that I didn't know about. That had to be the reason for such a gathering. It was the logical conclusion, but something was off about the town folk. The biggest giveaway was the silence. I didn't hear any chatter of voices or clickety-clack of shoes on the sidewalks. As a matter of fact, they weren't really moving. They were all just standing in place, swaying back and forth. I slowly rode my bike down the main street and observed the people on the sidewalk. They were all staring off at nothing. I recognized my barber standing near the corner of the street. His name was Chuck. He was an average-sized balding man in his 60s. He always had a grin on his face and was quick to give a hearty hello to anyone he saw. I rode up to him and stopped my bike. What do you say, Chuck? He heard me and turned his head. He stared at me for a long moment. He had no smile. His eyes were glassed over. He was totally emotionless. Chuck? He said nothing. He just stared at me. I did sense a hint of confusion in his expression, but otherwise nothing. After about a minute or so, he slowly turned his head forward and got back to staring out at the unknown. Everyone else was acting the same way. If they heard me, they'd turn their heads and look in my direction but didn't seem able to fully focus on me. Hello? I just yelled out randomly. Every person in my general vicinity turned their head toward me for several seconds and then reverted back to their sluggish state. I rode my bike down every street in town, and it was all the same. If I recognized someone and called to them, they'd just look in my direction as if trying to find me, and when unsuccessful, they turned their head back around. I took out my cell phone. I was about to call the police and let them know there was some kind of mass hallucination going on in Castleberry, but my phone was dead. I circled back to the start of town. I wanted to go in one of the restaurants and see if I could find a working phone to call this in. As I started back down Main Street, I noticed that something had changed. They were moving. The people were now moving, but very lethargically and without purpose. I rode up to Chuck again and called out, Chuck, are you okay? This time he turned his head and quickly locked his foggy eyes on me. He ever so slowly opened his mouth. I got goosebumps when he let out a wheezing groan. He then took a slow step toward me and reached out his arms. The person next to him seemed to notice Chuck doing this and mimicked him. They turned toward me, stared at me, 
and advanced while letting out a similar wheezing moan. One by one, the town folks turned their heads in my direction, opened their mouths, and advanced toward me. Within seconds, the town was abuzz with the sound of wheezing moans. I quickly rode away from the group and turned down another street where the town folk were still silent and unmoving. But as I rode by them, they all became alert and twisted in my direction. They began moaning and moving toward me. These people were moving faster than the others and they flooded the street in front of me, making it impassable. I rapidly turned my bike around and rode back to Main Street. I skid my bike to a halt at the sight before me. Chuck was leading the group down the street toward me. With every step they took, they increased in speed. Their moans got louder, and they took on a more savage, aggressive nature. Within seconds, they were running at me, growling like wild animals. Their foggy eyes were now fierce with rage. There was no doubt about what their intentions were. To kill me. I couldn't ride past them, there were too many of them, but lucky for me, I was near an alley and was able to pivot my bike and duck into the alley before the groaning group could catch me. The alley was long and thin. I could see a group of people on the street just outside the other end of the alley, but fortunately, they were still slow moving. I pedaled as fast as I could and shot out of the mouth of the alley like a rocket. Each person that saw me instantly sprung to life and turned into a raving savage. They gave chase, but they couldn't catch me. I rode away into the night, leaving the deafening moans in the distance. When I got home, I rushed to my landline phone, but it was completely dead. I tried to get onto my desktop computer, but had no internet connection. And minutes later, my electricity went off. I hurried to my car and attempted to start it, but it didn't make a sound. I wish I could say that as I sat in my lifeless car, the night was as completely silent as it had been all night. But that was no longer the case. The silence was now overtaken by a mass of distant, wheezing moans, and they were growing louder. I don't know what the hell is happening, but I have a feeling this is not going to end well for me. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. 
Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. (laughs) 